We are so thrilled to be partnering with Hinge. Hinge is the dating app designed to be deleted. As you all know, I'm a huge Hinge advocate as I met my partner of almost three years on the app. Even before meeting him, Hinge was always my go-to app because I met more relationship-minded people here and had some great dates. Clearly, I haven't been on the app for a little while, but I re-downloaded it to check out some of the new features. One that stood out to me was the voice prompt, my best friend's take on why you should date me, where your friend can hype you up. Not only does this make the profile creation less daunting, but it's not always easy to see your own green flags. So to test it out, I asked UA some fun prompts to get her take on what I could put if I was dating again. So the first one, how long have we known each other? What was your first impression of me and how has that changed? Julie and I have known each other for almost 10 years. My first impression of Julie was that she's very social, but I've learned that she has a lot more depth to her beyond the social butterfly that she is. My next prompt, what do you think are my green flags? I would say she's deeply loyal. She believes in love, curious mindset, and she is fearlessly ambitious. And then last but not least, what kind of friend am I? Julie is the kind of friend who will always have your back, no matter what. Damn, that feels nice to hear. So download Hinge and try voice prompts today. Then find someone worth deleting the app for. I love wine, but sometimes it can get really expensive, which is why I'm so excited that today's episode is brought to you by Last Bottle Wines. If you don't know, they're a Napa-based online wine shop with a twist. They offer just one hand-picked wine per day until it sells out, which is often an hour's. So new day, new wine, always at incredible prices. We're talking 30 to 70% off retail. And the best part is that there's no subscriptions, no fees, and no minimum purchase. Just a daily email with a really great wine. They're offering Datable listeners 10% off your first order with code Datable. And now is such a great time to join as their marathon sale is coming up on March 28th and 29th. They flip that one day rule on its head and offer back to back deals, which means that wines are only up on the site for a couple minutes at a time and shipping is 100% free. They send us a mini marathon package of some of their favorites and let me tell you, they were delicious. Sign up at lastbottlewines.com and use the code datable and find out why Last Bottle is the most fun way to discover and buy amazing wine. The Dateable Podcast is an insider's look into modern dating that the Huffington Post calls one of the top 10 podcasts about love and sex. On each episode, we'll talk to real daters about everything from sex parties to sex droughts, date fails to diaper fetishes, and first moves to first loves. I'm your host, USU, former dating coach turned dating sociologist. You'll also hear from my co-host and producer, Julie Kraftchik, as we explore this crazy dateable world. Hey friends, welcome to another episode of the Dateable Podcast where we help everyone navigate the modern dating scene and what is going on in today's world of dating. And what is going on is that we are both negative from yeah, COVID. Yeah, we're COVID Thank free. God. <laughs> I did a little COVID free dance. Yeah, you'd be proud of me. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, you just did it or you did it before? Well, I did it when I got the negative test. Oh, okay. So. No, okay. I yeah, thought, yeah. all right, good. Yeah. Well, I'm I'm sad you didn't record that and send it to You're me. You're like, did I miss something? I missed did it. I miss- you did it so Was that fast. a shimmy or something? You're like, were you doing that in your seat? No, I did it for my partner. He's told me that my weird side comes out for him. And I'm like, compared to you, A, I'm not weird at all. Listen, weird is good. <laughs> no, That's no, when he loves it. your he most authentic self. That's when you're most authentic. <laughs> I was like, I feel like
like if I told Yue that you thought I was weird, she would laugh because you're always like, I'm the weirder one of the two of us. I'm, I think I'm like weirder as, as in I've come out as weird, but <laughs> I'm closeted weird. Yeah. I think you have like these uh, impulsive weird tendencies that I haven't seen yet. But one of these days, I guess like, when you had COVID, that's when it came out. Damn it. I missed it. No, it's been long before COVID. But yes, yes. I'm more closeted weird. It's all good. <laughs> <laughs> I am so happy that we were both COVID free, though. That is like the best news ever, because in hindsight, it wasn't that bad, but it was still fucking miserable. I would say in hindsight, it wasn't terrible. Like we definitely both got lucky in the cases. And I think COVID current day is a lot different than it was two years ago. So for that, I'm very grateful. Would I want to get it again? No. Oh, hell no. Definitely not like a fun experience. (laughs) But was it like the worst thing ever? I've had like flus that are probably the same. And I'm not equating COVID to the flu because I agree. And I think what it is now is very different than what it once was. And what's scary about it is you don't know how it's going to hit you. So I feel like there's a little bit of a relief that I'm like, oh, it didn't hit me that bad. But you just don't know. And that's what's terrifying to me. It's so terrifying to know that there are like lasting consequences of it. So I'm still kind of experiencing the congestion and I don't know, the mind fog, the brain fog. Um, But I do feel also very lucky in the fact that I was able to have access to a drug, Paxlovid, Mm. which is a Pfizer drug that shortened my COVID positive period. So I tested positive on Monday. I tested negative by Friday. And then Saturday, we tested again, were negative and got cleared by the doctors. And then we went headed down to Coachella for a day and a half (laughs) because we're the good Asians that didn't want to lose out on the money that we paid for for Coachella. (laughs) Well, I'm sure that you were good and wore your mask the whole time because I know you would be. The good thing about Coachella is that it is so fucking dusty there because it's a desert. Uh, Everyone wears a mask because you don't want to get that shit in your nose. So my experience was not my full Coachella experience. And this was my first one. So I definitely don't think this is a representative. But we were sober the whole time because we didn't want to worsen our COVID symptoms. I think Coachella would be awesome on drugs or on something (laughs) where you don't feel the environment that you're in or you don't care about the crowd. But when you're fucking sober and tired and recovering from COVID, I think the crowd really gets to you. Oh, I can imagine (laughs) that like on a good day, even without COVID. That's why I avoid stuff like that. I know. It's like you. I had FOMO because I hadn't, you know, I'd never been to Coachella. There hasn't been a Coachella for two years. So this is the first one we were able to go to. And now we live in SoCal. It's so so much easier for us to get to. It was fun for what it was. And we made the best out of it. But I definitely don't think I had the full experience. And I can totally see where those memes come from because you get to the, you get there and every, this is a crazy thing, Julie, everyone's dressed up you know everyone's yeah. got like full makeup and costumes and beautiful outfits and heels and then you get there and you feel like uh, you don't feel sexy in that environment okay <laughs> so like of all the time you use to get ready you have to sip, spend uh, almost an hour on the shuttle to get to the venue and once you get to the venue you spend like 20 to 30 minutes walking into the entrance so by the time you're in you're like my feet are hurting my makeup <laughs> is melted it's like 100 degrees yeah it's definitely not what people see on Instagram. End of rant. rant. (laughs) I'm glad that you were still able to go. I'm glad that you'll be visiting next week and we can be reunited and we can not be scared of COVID because we're in the clear for at least a little bit. 
Just it's exciting. funny. Don't you feel like you're, you have like a cape or a superpower on? It's like, now we can go into the crowds and we can, <laughs> we can go to indoor dining, you know, like, let's go to Ibiza. Why not? <laughs> I don't know. I feel like my COVID experience has not been nearly as exciting as yours from the day that you <laughs> got COVID. I mean, you, it's not a bad actually thing. actually <laughs> going to Coachella. <laughs> I'm like leaving the house for the first time this weekend and I could not be more excited. <laughs> That's not a, that's not a bad thing at all. You got your rest, you got you, your negative test results, and hopefully your partner will clear up soon too. And now, oh you yeah, can be free. that was a that was an update. He got it two days later, three days later. I think last intro, I was like, oh yeah, he's at the clear. Nope, <laughs> there's a delay. <laughs> there's a delay. Yeah, and that antigen test doesn't always pick up. Yep. In the early so we got days. to be COVID buddies together. <laughs> the, the four of us <laughs> virtually together. Oh. I know. I feel like we've had so many convos with people, especially recording. So the episode that we're about to bring to you today, we did in the midst of COVID. Yes, we and did. We like caveat every guest during this time that we're like, hey, we had COVID. And I was doing the editing for last week's brunch talk. And I was like, holy shit, I sound bad. (laughs) I'm like, I did not realize how bad I sounded in the recording. But on playback, I was like, my voice sounds so nasal. And I still feel like a bit congested now even. So please give us some grace. (laughs) No Apple reviews of how bad we're speaking right now, please. Thank you. (laughs) We get a pass because we had COVID. But should we talk about erectile dysfunction? (laughs) There's no way to transition that, so let's do it. I'm so excited about this episode, actually, because I feel Mm. like, you know, we dive into all modern dating. And, you know, of course, sex is a big part of modern dating. Mm -hmm. And we talk about and think about the pleasurable side of sex. But there's also a lot of pressure that comes with sex. (sighs) So much. And, you know, we have a guest today, Dean, who wrote to us about this a while ago, actually. And, you know, we are so backed up. We get so many submissions missions for stories, which is amazing. Mm-hmm. So keep them coming. Eventually, as proof by this, we will get to you eventually. Yes. yes. And, what and was we actually, read all of them. Yes. And I'm kind of glad actually we got to Dean a little later because he's in a totally different place, like mm. married now. And it's it's really actually exciting to hear about how he went through this journey and came out on the other side of it. So yeah, I think it's a really great topic. We always we underestimate how much pressure there is is especially for men in our Mm -hmm. society. Yeah. And now's a good time for all of you at home to answer some of these questions. Think about this question. What does sex mean to you? Think about that for Mm -hmm. a second. And what are some of the things that have caused you anxiety either before, during, or after sex? Think about that. Things that have caused you anxiety. And I can answer this personally for me is sex for a long time meant penetrative sex Mm -hmm. uh, and also the anxiety that was caused mostly due to performance anxiety. Did I was was I performing at the level that I should be at? Did was I (laughs) pleasurable? Was I attractive enough for this person? And the anxiety after sex would be like, was that good for them too? You know, like, Mm -hmm. was it as good for them as it was for me? And will they call me again? (laughs) Yeah. Especially when you're in the midst of dating in early stages where you really just don't know, you know? I think for me, especially coming into my current relationship, this was during the pandemic. Mm -hmm. I had broken up with my ex about a year, give or take, earlier. Mm -hmm. Was 
pretty celibate during those that time from him to the new partner. And yeah. I was really freaking nervous. I think the COVID bod situation didn't help. The COVID-15, yeah. I definitely did not feel super confident. I, I had a lot of nerves going in that I hadn't had in the past. And I think some of that was, you know, where I was at that moment of time. Mm. So it can change. I feel like even when you think that you're sexually confident, there may be times in your life that that you get thrown for a little bit of a loop. But that just proves the point that when you first start having sex with someone or even one night stands, everyone's just thinking about themselves. <laughs> right? Yeah. So much of that pressure is put on your own self. Of am I performing enough? Am do I look the certain way? Am I am I meeting their needs? When sex for, you know, the reproductive reason aside, sex should be pleasurable and fun. Mm -hmm. But for some reason, sometimes we remove that goal because we feel like the goal is to be this person, to be this like performative sex kitten when it comes to sex. You know what's crazy too? I mean, who knows what the what it's like now, but I feel like when I first met my partner about a year year ago in the midst of COVID, everything slowed down dramatically. Mm -hmm. And I remember sharing my insecurities with him on our third date, just being like, I, I kind of want to wait a little and it's nothing mm. to do about like our connection or anything with you. It's just where I'm at right now. And looking back on it, it's kind of crazy that like the third date would even be an assumption that you have to clarify mm. that. Like I'd met this person, you know, for like three hours beforehand. It just goes to show like how much like sex can be rushed in dating mm. that that third date was the benchmark standard in a pre-covid time and i like you know just making out with people on first dates it's like you don't know these people at all <laughs> it's kind of nuts like when you look back on it you know i am curious how it is now so listeners that are actively dating definitely let us know like are you feeling like people are resorting back to how it used to be that the expectation is that you kiss again on the first date you touch all the stuff that kind of went MIA with COVID is the third date still kind of the standard go to or have people you know slow down because of the world that we're still in clearly the pandemic is still not over we are still getting COVID I that was my initial reaction when I watched the ultimatum I am going to bring back the show again because they filmed <laughs> that show in the middle of COVID nobody's wearing masks they're making out with everybody they're actually going out to clubs when the cameras are off and bring back those germs I was like how come nobody got COVID during this time? And they were all like slutting it up. You know, I remember actually during COVID going on a date with someone. We went to a park and then he asked to use my bathroom after. Oh, yes. And him coming in hot for the kiss. And I was so, you know, turned off by it because mm -hmm. it was just way too invasive of personal space in the world of COVID. And, you know, pre-COVID, I probably would have totally embraced it. And I remember him like being like, should we take this to the bedroom and just being like, oh. what the fuck is happening? And just being like, no. And mm. I, I think there was a huge shift of the way we view germs, the way we like look yeah. at all this stuff. Yeah, it makes you pause before you kiss yeah. someone now. Is it worth it? I think that's a question. Is this, is this germ exchange going to be worth my time and worth the risk of catching something? And maybe most of the time the answer is no, it's not worth it. Yeah. I mean, let's be honest, that's probably how both of our partners got COVID. You know, that's like the way oh. that it's going to catch the fastest.
kiss. I mean, maybe just from talking too. But as soon as you're in for a kiss, it's over. I feel like if you have COVID, it's like your saliva is there. (laughs) My partner and I both caught COVID during a breathing meditation. So I did not give it to him. Well, more because there was a delay, but yeah, he probably got it from the breathing meditation. So Uh, many people said that story was so funny. Sure, yes, he for sure. He was also opening his mouth and breathing from his womb. Okay, during this time, so there's no way he escaped that COVID meditation. (laughs) But yeah, no, I think revisiting what sex means, especially in this point of where we are in the world and what COVID has done for sexual interactions and even kissing, right? I think it's important to think about what does it really mean. I feel like we did so freely give that away for so long. Mm -hmm. And, you know, maybe people will come out and still say like, this isn't, I don't actually hold it to have that much of a meaning. I think everyone is very different on how they view sex. But doing these episodes, at least for me, makes me pause a bit more. Even last week's episode Mm -hmm. with Sydney, her sharing how she was like a virgin until 27 and how she viewed sex. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think about like Kat Harris, the episode we did, who's still yeah. holding on to her virginity, just how much thought she put into what sex means. Mm-hmm. And I think for me, like I haven't given it as much thought. I give a lot mm-hmm. of other things thought, but I feel like sex <laughs> is not given as much thought. And I love doing these episodes because it reminds me that just like everything else with modern dating, it deserves to have that beat to really reflect on. So true. It deserves that intention. That's what intentionality mm-hmm. is about. And for so long, we were doing things without intention, and therefore we don't get the result that we want at the end, right? That's what causes all that dating anxiety. So it's good to, I agree, like these episodes, especially this episode, will help you all not just to think about erectile dysfunction. Yes, that's part of the story. But I think the ultimate learning is what do we want from sex? What is our intention Mm -hmm. from sex? And how do we want to enjoy that time with our partners? It's more important than am I performing or am am I getting it up? Yeah. And how to navigate when things don't go as planned because- It's bound to not go as planned, whether it's on your side or your partner's. It's something that is good to get ahead of, even if you're not in the current situation. For sure. Cool. Well, (laughs) we will leave it at that because we have a whole episode to go into it. Some quick announcements this week. Make sure to check out Brunch Talk, which is our new installment every Sunday. We also Mm -hmm. have a sex-related topic this week. I'd say maybe the opposite of today's episode, but Mm -hmm. I'll leave it at that and leave the anticipation to grow and people could check that out and listen. But I think it's going to be a relatable one for many people. It's also about dicks. (laughs) There. That's enough. (laughs) We got to leave it at that. We got to leave some mystery. (laughs) And then share this with a friend. Keep that is the best way to pay it forward. Pay it forward to us for, you know, our time doing this podcast and continuing to bring these guests. And then also for all your friends out there that could learn and gain the knowledge that you all have by being dateable. So share it with a friend, especially if they're going through something related to the topic of today. This may affect people and be just what they're looking for. 
Yep. And then finally, follow us on Instagram. That will be our last announcement today at Dateable Podcast. Yes. Okay, let's go into a few messages from our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by the book Unstable from New York Times bestselling author Alexandra Ivey. In this bone-chilling romantic thriller set in Pike, Wisconsin, a small town with more secrets than residents, a cold case expert and her sheriff ex-husband reunite to solve a cold case where footage of a bound and gagged girl is discovered on a mysterious old VHS tape. So here's the twist. A dead man in a cemetery is no news, unless he's found on top of a grave with a bullet through his head, and instead the grave contains the remains of Stacy Gale, thought to have run away nearly three decades ago. Then an old VCR tape arrives at the sheriff's station, showing Stacy before her death, bound and terrified, with a note claiming to be from her killer's apprentice. Now, Rachel Fisher's job in cold case files has brought her back to Pike, Wisconsin, where she'll be working alongside her ex-husband, Zach Evans. In the small town, a killer walks twisted, ruthless, determined to continue his master's work. And unless Rachel and Zach can find a way to get ahead of him, the nightmare will never end. Find Unstable by Alexandra Ivey at kensingtonbooks.com or wherever books are sold. This episode is made possible by Switchcraft. I love match three games, but they all can seem so redundant with the same format and similar storylines. Switchcraft, on the other hand, is a brand new take on match three games that's both fun and interesting. I absolutely love that there are literally thousands of levels to play, so you never get bored. And the storyline is also very engaging. You're trying to help Bailey and her friends uncover the mystery of the disappearance of her best friend, where every match presents a new piece of the story. And along the way, you can make decisions. This is my favorite part because it's like choose your own venture because the decisions drive the narrative. For example, who to antagonize and who to befriend. In Switchcraft, you take on the role of the witch at Pendle Hill, the world's top academy of witchcraft. Along the way, you'll find unique characters, a gripping story, and even a little romance. The best part is that your choices in the game determine the outcome of the story. So you're in the driver's seat. Download Switchcraft for free and unlock the magical mystery. Okay, let's hear it from Dean. Sex can be fun, but sex can also be challenging because of all these societal pressures around sex and the fact that we're really a society that doesn't talk about sex as much. It's just really interesting to see how people come out of sex with all of these challenges that sometimes you're not able to discuss with your partner even. But today we want to really focus on ED. What is ED? Erectile dysfunction. And this is something that many men will experience in their lifetime or have experienced. And I'm really glad that we're talking about it because it's, again, comes with the sexual pressure of always being able to, you know, a lot of men are expected to be able to perform and to perform well and to perform on demand. And that's <laughs> a, not how the human body works. So let's get into this conversation. We've got our guest, Dean, with us. He's 31 years old. Uh, he lives in San Francisco, been there for three years, originally from New York, and he is married. How are you, Dean? Great. Thanks for having me on the show. Of course. We're so glad you're willing to talk about this. Like you ain't teed up. This is such an important topic. It actually made me want to look at what the official definition of mm-hmm. erectile dysfunction was. So the definition was the inability of a man to maintain an erection sufficient for satisfying sexual activity. Is there anything that you would add to that definition, Dean? You know, I don't think so. And I don't think I've ever defined it. Or it's one of those things where if you think you have ED, it's just something you know, rather than anything that I I never thought about it from a dictionary definition. Well, let's talk about your personal experience with ED. When did you first 
start to experience it in your sex life? Yeah. So I think in terms of my story, I was in an existing relationship for f- about four years and you know, never really had any issues during that relationship. But uh, after I got out of the relationship, I started dating again. And it was a lot of new things, right? New partners, new dynamics. And mm. I had one experience where you know, it was probably the third or fourth date. Uh, she was coming back to my place and I just felt a little intimidated by her. She seemed much more experienced and confident and I felt like I had to match that. So I was feeling very nervous and I, I just, that was my first time. I couldn't get it, uh, get it up. So I, I wrote that as a one-off, but it just kept on happening. Like the second time, the third time I was, you know, it's not something that I thought could possibly happened to me before I turned 60, but it was suddenly an issue that that was in affecting my dating life. And when you say it kept happening, was it with the same woman or was it with different people? Yeah, it was first with the same partner, but then I thought maybe it's just her. But then with two other partners, I had the same dynamic. And that's where mm. I, you know I, I started freaking out more over time. Yeah, I think that is a misconception is that people think ED is reserved for when you're yeah. older. Uh, but many people, when they're much younger, ex- start experiencing it. And there's just so much stigma around it. So I'm curious to know, uh, when this first started happening to you and you start seeing this as a pattern, what were some of the thoughts that were going through your mind? Yeah, I think before that, it was being ignorant about it and just trying to ignore it and denying Mm. that, right? Sort of like not trying to admit to myself that was a problem. But then once it became a pattern, I started entering like a freak out kind of OCD stage almost where I think there's a lot of behaviors I had where like it would be kind of compulsive. Felt like I would try to test myself to see if I could get an erection randomly. Like before I went on a date, I would be like, hmm, does it still work kind of deal, right? (laughs) Uh. And, you know, of course, it, it's th- that's not how it works, right? Being by yourself is very different than being with a partner. So it's not like that testing did anything. It was just me being on edge and wanting to reassure myself. Well, yeah, the more you get in your head, too, I can imagine mm-hmm. it only builds up the pressure. So you said when you were in the last relationship of four years, you didn't experience this. Do you think that it was because you had a level of comfort in a relationship versus being with new partners? Or why do you think that was the case? Yeah, I, I think absolutely. I think, you know, when it's not something that pops into your mind, it's much easier. It just feels comfortable and natural. But new experiences can get us into like a thinking and worrying phase, right? And then I felt like once I was in that mindset, it was harder for me to get out. So it's kind of like a seal was broken for me once I had that first experience. Was this kind of like the first time that you were actually dating or had you done dating before? I had dated before too, but this was definitely the bulk of my dating experience being in that long relationship. So maybe to some extent, it was my first time like really getting back into the market and having new experiences. Was it like your first time using dating apps or had you done them before? I had done it before, but it definitely changed a lot mm. <laughs> after five years where yeah. it was still new at uh, when I started initially. But when I started dating again, it was suddenly this is the way you meet your partner. Mm. And were you able to communicate about this with any of your partners? Because I'm asking because I had an experience with someone who had ED and we 
had a relationship where he was never able to get it up, but he just never want to address it. So then I just assume, you know, he would always be like, oh, I've had too much alcohol or I'm so tired. And to this day, I'm still sitting here thinking like, was I just not good enough? Was I not attractive enough? I wish we had an open communication or something or conversation about it. So were you able to talk about this with any of your partners? Yeah, I think communication is something that is important in every relationship, but especially with ED. But I would say that it's more of like a later in the game kind of thing, right? I think mm. there's a lot of work that the guy needs to do of being able to face it head on first, right? It sounds like your partner was more in that earlier denial phase, right? When you're in that state, you're not able to communicate because you're not ready to maybe. Um, so mm. I would say that like talking about it is important, but it is something that you have to build up to. And I think there are there are ways to build up to that, but it's it's definitely not easy. So were you able to? Because I could see that it'd be hard with people that you were just dating, right? Let's say you've, you know, went on a few dates, you don't know this person super well. Kind of take us back to where you were. Like, where was your headspace about wanting to talk about it at that time? Yeah, I mean, I think, be, to be honest, a lot of the partners that I had early on, I was taking more of that hope approach where okay mm. maybe this time will be different yeah. like i don't have to talk <laughs> about it i don't have to have a right. conversation about it right but what i realized was that actually it was an asset for me to talk about it because you know everyone has performance anxiety it's not just a, a guy thing right and i mm -hmm. felt like when i was actually comfortable enough to admit that i had ed it was actually taken as a, a sign of me being confident right and so mm -hmm. that realization helped me have that conversation more upfront. Um, but i would say that it took a while to get there and how did you get there? Like, how did you yeah. have that revelation that you're like, I can just talk about this? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think you, know, you, you guys sort of talk about this a lot on your podcast, but a lot of it ties to expectations, right? We feel like we have to meet expectations. We feel like our partners are holding us to this higher standard. And a lot of the work that I did earlier on and you know, credit to my therapist was basically, let's look at these expectations, figure out what's what's actually causing the anxiety, what's causing you to, to have the denial, and then let's just have an open look at them, right? And then once you actually look at some of these expectations, it's like, oh, okay, it's not that scary anymore, right? And so that really opened me up to having that conversation with partners. Oh, I want to focus on that a little bit yeah. more. At what point did you decide I need to seek help? And what were those initial conversations with the therapist like? Yeah, so I think what I did early on was first go to see a regular doctor and rule it out being a physical problem. I got my testosterone checked and basically all my indicators are fine. So the doctor was like, yeah, it's probably 100% psychological. Oh. So I think from there, I was like, okay, well, if it's my mental game, let's let's work on this. So I, I contacted a few therapists and I, I started on, on that journey. Yeah. And and to your to your question about like what were those first few conversations like? It was first talking me off a cliff of like, look, am I normal? Like, am I right. like what's wrong with me? I'm you know, I'm I'm still in my twenties. How is this happening to me, right? It's also talking me off the, I need a quick fix, right? Like, give me something that I'm going to mm. treat this right away. This is not supposed to happen to me. So a lot of it was setting my expectations about, hey, this could be a longer journey. Hey, you mm. might need to take time and we need to dig into some of these things in a deeper level instead of, all right, you're going to take a pill and, and 
that's that's the end of that, right? Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think pills are something that can be very helpful, but if it's a purely psychological issue, if you're just using it like a crutch, right? When that crutch fails, you're you're totally screwed. So I felt like I really needed to meet with this therapist and and do that mental work to to be on the path of recovery. I want to dig into these expectations around sex. But before we mm-hmm. do that, I want to go back to your dating life. Because I can imagine this would be really hard to date when this is in the back of your mind. Like, mm-hmm. okay, I'm going to have these great dates, and then it's going to get intimate, and then this is going to happen. Could you kind of walk us through like how your dating life was, how this impacted it, and then like what happened with these partners when this would happen? Yeah, I mean, definitely it it was tough to date with this issue, right? I think learning to deal with needing to, I think there, it still ties back to expectations, right? Because the man is supposed to initiate, It's the man is supposed to be sexual and be suave and strong and forceful. And it was hard for me to be confident when I was feeling not confident, right? And especially I'm an Asian man and Asian men, I think traditionally in society, it's like you're definitely being emasculated and from a dating perspective, Asian men are desired the least, right? So mm-hmm. it's it was doubly challenging. So I think the biggest thing was it, it did affect my confidence. I'm naturally pretty secure in my attachment style, but I definitely got into my head a lot and I, I, I thought a lot about different things and, and I you know I think it really affected my early partnerships. I think the first one that I had the issue with, it really ended poorly because I didn't know how to talk about it. I didn't know how to deal with it. And then my partner at the time thought it was her issue and like she wasn't feeling Mm. good. And so like every session we would have just ended in disappointment is definitely recipe for failure in a relationship. That is so crazy to think about that you were in a stable relationship where you didn't have any of these issues and all of a sudden you found yourself dating again. And it's because of these societal pressures and expectations, you are back at, you know, experiencing these issues that you didn't have when you were in your last relationship. I feel like that says a lot about modern dating in general. It just like gives us so much of these insecurities and pressures for really no reason because you were like the whole goal is to get into a stable relationship. Right. Right. And but like in the beginning stage of dating, it's just so much anxiety around it. Yeah, absolutely. I I think it was definitely tough to be able to date in that setting. And it took time for me to feel confident again and and get my groove back. Well, yeah, I can imagine too, for both of you and the you and the partner that you were experiencing this with, I can only imagine how defeating it must be every time you go to have sex to just be like, well, that didn't work out. Now we both Mm -hmm. feel bad. I wouldn't want to do it. Like I totally get where it's just so hard that like if everything else is going well, then this is the one thing. I mean, I know this woman and other partners are not on this call, but did you ever talk with her further about kind of how she was feeling? Because I definitely have been there myself too. And you do think you're doing something wrong. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I did have conversations with some of my partners. And I think what I took away from that was like, it's really important for the partner to take care of themselves too, right? Because it will impact you emotionally to thinking it's your fault or you're not attractive enough. And even though you know that the answer 
is it's it's not you. You still have to keep reminding yourself that, right? Yeah. So it's it's not good enough to just know that something that you have to keep reminding yourself of, and and it's something that I would say that it's really helpful if the partners is able to have outlets and be able to express their own insecurities to someone else, right? Because the worst thing that can happen is for both parties to have insecurities and, and yeah. you know, you have more problems than what you started with. Well, I think it just speaks to the expectations around sex in our society so yeah. much too that we have to finish. And it's almost like if the woman doesn't finish, it's not that big a deal, but there's yeah. something wrong when the man does. And I've definitely seen myself fall in that trap too, but it's something that's been ingrained in all of us, men and women, that in order to have good sex, like the guy needs to get off essentially. Yeah, for yeah. sure. My therapist was talking about like try this thing called non-goal orientation, right? Yeah. Where, oh. Look, it's not about the orgasm, right? And I get it. I I get this concept, but in practice, it's so hard because we're so so trained on this is the goal. This is what success is measured by. And the narrative that we've been told ever since we were teenagers is basically men can get it up whenever and wherever. Yep. You like don't totally. look at them in the wrong way because then they'll they'll have right. a boner, you know? Don't touch them. <laughs> don't touch their lower back. They're getting a boner. You feel like it's just a a simple thing for a man to just get it up. It's like the most right. basic foundational sexual, you know, uh right. uh response to to your own attractiveness, but that's not the case, right? So I want to get back to now that you're married and how are you able to go from the work that you did with your therapist to now being yeah. in a committed relationship? Yeah, I think it definitely took a lot of um, listening to my body. I think you guys talk about a lot uh, on the podcast so, as well, but it starts with taking care of myself and working out more, eating better helped as basics, right? But a lot mm -hmm. of it is also like learning over time to respond to my body better. New relationships are just not comfortable. I don't I don't know this person yet. Right. So yeah. I can't expect my body to be like, all right, let's have sex now. Right. Yeah. And so I, I really was forced to listen to my body more. And some of that was also retraining my body a little bit to be more sensitive. For example, I did things like mindful masturbation. And this mm -hmm. is a term that my my therapist also introduced to me. But basically when when we're having sex, a lot of it is sensual. A lot of it is, it's not visual the way that porn is. It's also just a very soft and something that involves a lot of our senses. And so retraining your body involves being sensitive to all these signals instead of the the porn that I was watching um, was definitely not the same as having sex with a partner. So the goal and what what helped me a lot was making sure that I slowed down, I listened to my body, I did things that were a lot less stimulating, and that led me to be more sensitive during actual sex with my partners. Oh, interesting. So when you met someone new, right, or when you dated, I guess putting it in timelines of your current wife, did you start to get comfortable before her or was it really her that kind of got you to feel like you were starting to overcome this? Yeah, I think it really took me getting into a stable relationship for me to to get over the hump. And I think 
without being in a stable situation where you're able to communicate well with your partner, you have that security, you start to build the right patterns with your partner. I think it really took that. Like when I was dating, it, it was very hard for me to be consistent and to feel like I was comfortable. So when you first start dating your wife, your now wife, were you getting ahead of the problem and just telling her what was going on? Yeah, I did. I did bring it up to her very early on and she was very understanding. She was very non-judgmental. It, okay. She helped me feel safe about it and she was mm. open to trying to be non-goal oriented. Even though in practice it was still difficult, she definitely did a lot of things to put me at ease. Mm. And did you guys wait longer to like have sex? Like did you ease into other things before, you know, kind of going towards it intercourse? Yeah, we definitely experimented with a, a number of different things like, you know, just having an only touch session, mm -hmm. like giving each other massages, doing things that aren't just about, all right, penis and vagina sex, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Right. And it, I, I'm not saying that all of these experiences were necessarily natural or easy to come by since we just don't have these patterns in our society. But having a partner that's willing to experiment was really helpful in, in my road to recovery. And how far into the relationship did you start all this experimentation? We probably started about a month and a half or two months in. It took a while for us to build that trust with each other and be comfortable. And at that time, I was already being more more cautious about jumping into a sex, sexual situation right away, right? So yeah. it, we had a longer buildup and that definitely helped too. It's so crazy in today's world that a long buildup is like a month and a half, two months. <laughs> right, you know, like yeah. it's not even that long when you think yeah. about it. But in today's world, when the expectation is third date, it is a long time. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah for so sure. before you met your now wife, did you take like a break from dating at all while you were working through all this or kind of walk us through, you know, like there's this gap of I've identified this as a problem. It's getting in the way of my current dating life and budding relationships. How did you kind of move to the next stage? Yeah, that's really insightful. I did take a break during that time. It took me probably a year and a half to go from my first ED issue to feeling like I've got over a hump um, with my now wife. And during that time, it wasn't dating throughout, right? I think after the first few months, I just put my body in such a difficult situation that it just shut down. And so I had the time I was forced to sort of go back to the drawing board. So just because I wasn't dating doesn't mean I couldn't make progress even with other mm -hmm. people. So one thing I did was I went partner dancing. You're able to build up sensuality in a safer mm -hmm. environment. Right? And so hmm. I tr sort of tried different avenues of helping my body be more comfortable in, in different situations, right? I think a lot of what I was doing was also being able to talk about it with some of my friends. And mm -hmm. I think that's a big step, actually, because first you're in denial mode, like you can't even admit it to yourself. But then mm -hmm. to really overcome it psychologically, you have to really believe that it's not a, not an issue that's impacting your life. It's not something that you're you're shameful about or you're, you feel a lot of stigma towards, right? And so mm -hmm. once I was able to reveal it to my therapist, I was then able to reveal it to a close friend. And after I got a good reception from him, you know, I started talking about it to other friends. And yeah, it, it kind of snowballed. And I'm lucky to have a friend group that was very supportive. I imagine that if 
someone reacts negatively to that story, you know, it could send you down a, a tougher path. But I was able to, to have great conversations about it. I feel like friends are so essential on the dating yeah. journey. It's one of those things that is the most overlooked support system that you need. And, you know, especially for men, there mm-hmm. are studies that men have less close friends than women do. And to go to a subject like this, I really do commend you for being able to have those yes. conversations. I think a lot of people just wouldn't like they would just be like I'm gonna deal with this I'll figure it out and that's just such a smart way to do this too because the more you talk about it the more you normalize the conversation so when you do start dating again you don't mm-hmm. feel so odd bringing up this right this conversation so with your current wife how far into your dating timeline did you bring bring up this this topic I think definitely it was it was something that I had to mention pretty early on by the first end of the first month we had talked about it and mm. I think it was something where you can't really hide this for so long right, right. what you you guys were saying about the expectations of one month to two months being a long time that's definitely true and I felt like I had to to have a conversation well, yeah, then she starts being like, does this guy not like me? Like it, it brings right. up all yeah. this stuff, right? Which it's so interesting because I think I feel like we always turn to ourselves. Like we're all selfish, inherently selfish people yeah. that we always turn to like how it's impacting us. And it's never like, oh, it could be something that has zero to do with us. Yeah. Let's hold that thought for a few messages. This episode is sponsored by Via. We all know there are things that can help set the mood in the bedroom, but did you know a little THC could also do that? Yes, Via has developed a unique blend of pleasure-enhancing cannabinoids, libido-strengthening herbs, and a low dose of THC all into one mind-blowing gummy called High Love. This gummy, wow, it will awaken your senses, increase blood flow, and intensify any sexual experience. I've been pleasantly surprised by the High Love gummies because it is just the right amount of THC for me to have a good time without feeling sleepy. And hey, if THC is not your thing, Via also offers a wide array of other gummies without it. And everything legally ships in 50 states with discreet packaging directly to your door. So if you're over 21, you can get 15% off and a free pack of award-winning Dreams THC plus CBN sleep gummies with our exclusive code DATEABLE at ViaHemp.com. That's V-I-I-A-H-E-M-P.com. Let the gummies work their magic. Head to ViaHemp.com and use the code DATEABLE to receive 15% off and one free sample of their sleepy dream gummies. That's ViaHemp.com and use the code D-A-T-E-A-B-L-E at checkout. Take your passion and pleasure to a whole new level with high love from ViaHemp. This episode is made possible by Armoire. Armoire makes getting dressed easy. With a clothing rental membership from Armoire, build the perfect wardrobe with brands that are high quality, unique, and recommended just for you. All you have to do is take a five-minute style quiz and select items from your dynamic, personalized closet. The styles show up at your door in as little as two days. Then when you're ready for new clothes, just swap them out. Listen, I live in Southern California. There is absolutely no need for puffer coats or any sort of those winter jackets. But when I travel anywhere else in the world in these cold months, I'm 
often burdened with the task of getting winter clothes. And now with Armoire, I can just rent my winter wardrobe. It's brilliant. Right now, our listeners can give Armoire a try and get up to 50% off their first month. That's up to $125 off. Just visit armoire.style slash datable. That is armoire.style, spelled A-R-M-O-I-R-E dot style slash D-A-T-E-A-B-L-E to get up to 50% off your first month and never worry about what to wear again. Try Armoire today. We are so excited to share with you our new podcast, Exit Interview. Dates don't usually end with a satisfaction survey, and yet we rate everything in our lives, from Uber drivers to local coffee shops. So why don't we do the same thing when dating? We're here to conduct the ultimate romance review, featuring daters hungry for love who have agreed to call up old flames to gather honest feedback. Welcome to Exit Interview. He upgraded himself to business class while I was in economy. Wait, <laughs> wow. What? There's feedback that will make you cringe. She could be a little bit hard-headed, like not reading the writing on the wall. And feedback that will make you swoon. But she said that she had feelings for you. I had no idea. Really? <laughs> and maybe you'll learn a thing or two yourself about how you can be a better dater, lover, or partner. Obviously, like, you is going to learn something. I didn't expect this. Welcome to Exit Interview. Listen to Exit Interview on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And you're like working with your therapist, you're feeling good, you're taking this dating break. At what point that did you decide that you were going to get back out there or did you meet your wife just more randomly? I think it happened to coincide with me having two months before I started a new job. And it was just a natural time for me to jump right back in and get a lot of dating in before I had to focus on work again. So I think it'll just naturally come up. It'll feel like it's it's time. And I don't think it applies to necessarily my particular situation or having ED in general. We all need breaks here and there with the mm-hmm. dating uh, because it can be overwhelming. It can feel like a grind. So whenever that feels like it's more palatable to jump in, that's that's when I think we should jump back in. I would love to explore some of the conversations you've had because I think that's kind of the blocker for a lot of people is how do I communicate this with yeah. someone new I'm seeing? So could you give us verbatim some of the conversations you had? How do, how were you able to bring it up in early dating? Yeah, I think... One of the key lines I use is probably, hey, this is really hard for me to admit, but I've been struggling with ED for a while. Mm-hmm. I think that's the that's the main phrase, right? And then that mm-hmm. leads to a reaction for the, the partner. And if they react positively or in a way that shows curiosity, then I can review more. Then we can start having a conversation of, hey, I think for the first few sessions, I want to take it slow. Mm-hmm. Let's try these things. The precise thing probably depends on you and what you think would would work best for you. But for me, it would be, I think it would be better if we started out just touching and not going into penetration. Um, Mm -hmm. Let's just play and explore and see where it takes us, but not necessarily needing to have either of us orgasm. Oh, that's how all initial sex should be in dating, right? Like you don't need to go straight to penetration because I've had some pretty bad initial 
early sex. <laughs> like it's all about exploring each other's bodies and being curious about each other. Mm-hmm. That makes it for a much better sex life than just going straight into, like you said, the goal-oriented yeah. penetration. Totally. You know, once you progress a little bit, there are simple things you can say like, hey, when you do this, that turns me on a lot. Right? Mm. Very simple, but you're just giving each other information or, hey, I'm not feeling this. Or if you did this, it would make things easier for me. Right. And a lot of that is setting up both of you for success. Right. And that makes making it easier, making sure that you guys understand where both of you are at. And so simple phrases just to communicate where you're at were really important at the time. And did you have these convos with anyone else besides your now wife? Or was she kind of like the first person back after you've had these revelations? There were definitely conversations I had with other partners, but I think with my now wife was definitely where we were able to take that deeper and have ongoing conversations. I think the initial conversation was easier to have, but like really when you're the continual experimentation is something that comes over time and only happens in the course of months and, and not, you know, over two or three sessions. Were you met with any sort of bad reactions when you had these conversations? I would say that in general, the reactions I had from my partners were very understanding. Mm. That being said, right, I was often worried that maybe they're just saying that and Mm. they're actually going to judge me for it. And so I think there's still stuff going on under the surface that it's not just because you have the conversation, things are good. I think that's where you have to continue to communicate. I think it's you having to continue to reassure each other that, hey, It's not because you're not attractive enough or, hey, like, I really like you and this doesn't affect, you know, me liking you at all. Right. And so Mm -hmm. it's not just a one time conversation. It's there's a lot of repetition involved, too. And with some of these other people, not your now wife, was the reason it didn't work out? Was it related to this or did it have nothing to do with this aspect? I don't think it really had anything to do with it. I think after the first few bad experiences where the relationship was definitely being held back by having Edie, it progressed in a way where, no, it was just we were not compatible and not, oh, there's something wrong with our sex life. Mm -hmm. Right. The zillion other other things that could go totally. wrong. So many other things. <laughs> How do you think like your car like do you think it was your current wife and the way she was able to meet you? Or do you think it was where you were on the journey or a combination of both? I think it's definitely a combination of both where I was finally ready in terms of listening to my my body more and chilling out about it overall. And then also her being just really non-judgmental and helping me feel safe, right? So it's definitely a combination. Mm-hmm. Uh, you talked about her, some of her reactions. I would love to get into that a little bit more. For a partner to show that compassion and understanding, what are some of the other things that she said to you after you had revealed this topic? Yeah, I don't think it's necessarily anything she said. It's more the way that she said it which is very Mm. soft. And you can tell when someone really cares about you and, you know, is is trying to understand what's going on. So I don't think there's anything in particular she said that was game changing, but it was just me feeling like I could be comfortable with her and I could share with her and I could communicate with her. I know you said that you started off doing more experimentation and getting easing into things. Did you ever hit a point where it just felt like you didn't have to worry about it? Or was this always something that was kind of top of mind in your sex life? It definitely hit a point where I wasn't worrying about it as much. But 
I will be honest in that this is an ongoing journey in the sense that it will still pop back into my head and there's nothing I can do about it when it does other than just try to stay in the moment. But I would say that it it will vary from time to time and there are times where I'm not worried about it at all and, and I'm just fully in it and there are times where to make sure that we pause and we don't get ourselves into a situation where I'm I'm in a negative place again because I wasn't feeling good. Right. Are there any tactics that you can, you know, share with people that kind of help you stay present and not be in your head? Because I do think that is one of the biggest challenges with this is yeah. the more we get in our head with it, the harder it becomes to not have it happen. Right. Yeah, I think a lot of this ties back to practices around meditation too, right? The way that we all try to deal with anxiety is also partially solved by meditating and having that approach where you're just present, you're practicing, you're you're paying attention to your breathing, to your body. So a lot of those things are not just ED practices. They're things that will have help you have better mental health overall. And so, you know, I think that's what I re- recommend. I think I might have mentioned sensory awareness, but if not, I think that's really a practice where I remember sitting outside in a park and just for 20 minutes, I would turn to one sense after another and just focus on that sense. So for mm-hmm. example, like just trying to smell and seeing what smells come through my nostrils and and mm-hmm. you know and then moving to sight and just seeing every blade of grass it sounds a little bit crazy too but i think it's it's part of the practice that i, I built around trying to be more sensitive and more aware of my body and that's definitely helped me be more present in interactions with my partners i feel like that's something we should be doing all the time. This sensory mindfulness and meditation is so important. We actually had a guest on, um, Shirzad, who came up with the positive intelligence quotient, and he has this whole practice around positive intelligence. But the exercises are all based on singling out your senses. So you're only feeling one thing at a time. And after you're done with that, basically calms your mind so you can tackle whatever issue or challenge that you have at hand. So I think that's just something we can all learn to do. And I think also with sex, a lot of times we're not feeling it. No. It's, there's yeah. there's just like you, you're doing it. You're going through the motions, but we're not taking the time to be mindful and be present to feel it. And I met someone recently and he said something to me and I was like, this is so simple. But he's like, the whole goal of sex should be fun. Yeah, That's like the goal is you're experimenting, playing around, and getting to know your partner's body, that should be fun. Mm -hmm. I think this conversation definitely reveals that side that we can all do more of, um, especially in the bedroom. Yeah, definitely. I feel like, Dean, even as you were just saying all that stuff, I'm like, oh my God, there's so many senses that could happen during sex. And we're not thinking about any of it. You know, we're not taking in the moment. We're jumping to the finish line. You know, we're so goal-oriented that we're not enjoying the process, which I think, mm-hmm. you know, goes back to what you were saying, UA. It's like, it's supposed to be fun. Yeah. If we're just trying to skip to the end, what's the point of even doing what's it in the, the first point? place? Yeah, yeah, for sure. And even this entire ED journey, I feel like has been an opportunity for me to experiment and even have good experiences from it. And it's something mm-hmm. where it, it's not just a negative thing that was burdening me. It's something that pushed me and, and helped me grow and led me to experiences that were fun. 
So I think that's definitely also something that I want to make sure folks that are suffering from this, they're framing it in a, in a way that helps them have a have a more positive mindset and, and have it as an opportunity for the growth. I feel like sex too, we think about it in such a hetero perspective mm-hmm. of penetration. Experiencing ED, has it made you more exploratory in other avenues of sex? Yeah, I would say that it has, but not to the extent that I expected. I think Mm. it was easy when I felt like I was back in the groove and not dealing with ED to revert back to the traditional way of having sex. So I think a lot of the experimentation was during this time when I was trying to get back there. I wish I could say that, yeah, I've I've totally transformed my sex life because of that. But I think it's still an ongoing process where we all can be better about experimenting. And I think it's a tool that we have in our toolbox. And even if someone's had a lot of sexual partners, doesn't mean that they know your body. Sometimes we feel like, oh my gosh, this person's dated for a long time. They are probably more experienced at sex than I am. It doesn't mean that they are more experienced with your body. It just means that they've done it with other people. So I, I don't think, I can see how that could be intimidating, but that shouldn't be a barometer for how someone will be like in bed with you. And Dean, you know, you're the one that reached out to us and you really want to tell your story. So I'm curious to know, what are some of the things that you wish you had heard in the beginning of your journey that you want to tell someone now so you can like pay it forward? forward. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. I think a lot of it is around just telling folks that there is an alternative path. I think I mentioned it up front, but it's not just about the quick fix and about taking a pill and being done with it. I think it's really an opportunity to dig into yourself and be a a more resilient and better human. Um, And so I think what I would say is like, just chill out, right? I think that's one of the biggest thing. Like I'm on uh, the ED subreddit from time to time and people Mm. are super freaked out about it. Every week I see a post that's like, oh yeah, I'm 18 and I didn't have morning wood last week. Like what's going on? And it's like, yeah, like chill out. Like there's that has nothing to do with anything. And I think in general, people just worry so much about ED. And of course, Worrying and obsessing just makes things worse. So I think it's really about chilling out, experimenting, and trying to to get yourself in a place where you're able to treat it like a normal thing that, that you talk about at the dinner table. I love that. While we're dishing out advice, is there any advice you'd have for a partner that's supporting mm. someone going through ED? Yeah, I would say definitely number one is still to take care of yourself first, right? You don't want to have both partners having having issues and, and them creating this extra tough knot to resolve. And so it's really about making sure that you check in with yourself, right? Am I feeling insecure because we're having issues in the bedroom? And reminding Mm -hmm. yourself that, hey, it's not me. This is something that I can help my partner with, but it's not something that is because I'm not attractive enough. I think mm-hmm. I think that's one thing. Another thing is just creating safety, right? I think my wife did a really good job of just being curious, being warm, and that's a huge part of it, right? A lot of these guys are probably in that first stage where they're still not able to talk about it. They feel shame. They're in denial, right? And a lot of it is being in a safe relationship and a safe environment and being able to finally 
address it and start experimenting and start start coming out with solutions. So I, I think mm-hmm. the last piece to that is doing some gentle nudging and figuring out where the guy is in the process. And if he's really in that denial process and, and still like in a bad mental space, like gently helping him find a therapist and in a way where it's not like, oh, you're broken, like, like you need to be fixed here. But it's more like, hey, I want us to have a really fulfilling life in general, but also in our sex life. And and I want to work together to help you find a therapist so that we can build a stronger relationship. I feel like sometimes we think that we need like the magic words, but yeah. I think what I'm gathering from you and so much of relationships, it's just being there and being open and be like the way you show up is so much more important yeah. than even having the solution. No one's looking for the solution. They're just looking to be heard and seen. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you so much, Dean, for coming on and yeah. sharing this. Yeah. I think this is a really important conversation. It's a conversation that probably is living in a lot of people's heads and not out in the open. So I'm glad that we're changing that. I mean, the biggest takeaways I have, first and foremost, just how interconnected our body and minds are mm. never fails to amaze me. And I like that you, you know, obviously checked it out at the doctor and made sure that like there wasn't a reason that you needed to turn to meds, but then making those connections and looking at like, what is it that's really the deeper piece that I can work through is so important. So um, I think that's definitely one that stands out to me. The other piece is just how much more connection, you know, even the things that we see as flaws or insecurities can bring if we choose to let it be that way. The fact that you were able to, you know, share this with your now wife, you were able to see one, I'm sure the way she like was receptive to this too made you realize like this is someone I need to hold on to and having you open up to her I'm sure brought you closer to her too so so often we think that we need to hide all the stuff that's less than perfect but oftentimes by just being like I think that really is the true definition of vulnerable it's not unloading you know like all the trauma but really being like this is what's going on with me I need your support asking for that or is so important. So everything that is less than desirable that comes our way, we have many ways of approaching it. And if we could always turn to connection, that's going to help with our dating and love lives. A thousand percent. A thousand percent. I feel like ED is just the clinical term for what many of us have experienced, even as women, because erectile dysfunction is a lot more visual. You can see it not doing what it's supposed to, quote unquote, supposed to do. But many women feel this as well. It's like sometimes I don't I'm not as turned on as I think I should be or I I should feel this horny right now. And when we had Emily Nagoski on our podcast, she talks about the sexual accelerators and breaks. And sometimes if you have so many breaks, no matter how many accelerators you get, you're just not going to get turned on. I think that's a fact we need to face. So instead of trying to find all the stimulation, all the porn, all the sexual images, (laughs) if your breaks are what's stopping you from getting turned on, you're never going to get there if you don't address your breaks first, right? So I think that's a really important point for me to take away is like, sometimes it's not about the stimulation. It's about what is in my mind right now that's stopping me from, you know, getting to that point of wanting to explore this sexually. And 
I also think it's very important for us to talk about this openly because I hate that we're calling this performance anxiety. Yeah. Why is this a performance? It shouldn't be performative at all. <laughs> Nobody should be performing when they're having sex. You're giving, if anything else. You're experiencing this together. And I think that is mainly the issue that we're facing when it comes to sex is that we feel like we need to perform. We feel like we need to be on all the time. That is just so much pressure for a human being. Um, so I think we need to get rid of that performative mindset and think about sex as non-goal-oriented. It's not about penetration. It's just about having fun and exploring each other's bodies. I would definitely choke that up to media too. It's like the way that yeah. like porn and movies and all the stuff says that, you know, it's just, this is what you do with sex. And I think we need to really accept that all of our bodies are wired differently. What turns one of us on is not going to turn the other person on. And how we get to feeling turned on is going to be different from person to person instead of just thinking that we're all in this blanket, you know, this is how yeah. it works across the board. Yeah, exactly. Any last parting words for our listeners? Yeah, I would say that, like, just set yourself up for success, right? Make it as easy as possible on you. That means chilling out about it and reducing those expectations. It means not just doing wishful thinking, but communicating ahead of time. It means trying to make sure that you don't have a lot of stressors when you're trying to have sex the, the same hour, right? And mm -hmm. use that as an opportunity to experiment and push for your own growth. And in general, you know, I think I'm happy to chat to anyone if they feel like I can be helpful. So uh, I can create an email address and, and uh, maybe you guys can include in the show notes. Yeah, of course. That's so kind of you. That is truly paying it forward. So we are happy to do this. Thank you so much for offering to feel some questions. And it just shows that whatever you're going through right now, you're not alone. There's someone yeah. else. There's many other people <laughs> who are going through the same thing. So never feel like you're alone in this. And that's our purpose here with the Dateable Podcast is to create this forum so that you know you're not alone going through this. And there are other people who've gone through it and they can tell you how they got through it. So thank you again, Dean, for coming on our show and telling us your story. And for all of our listeners, we love to hear from you too. One way is to, you can email us, hello at datablepodcast.com, or you can DM us at datablepodcast on Instagram, or you know what? Head over to uh, Apple Podcasts and give us a five-star review. That's where we read all of the messages. Um, <laughs> something nice and sweet would be great, but that's our platform for feedback. So please do so. Pay it forward like Dean is. <laughs> yes, pay it forward. Okay, now we're going to wrap up this episode. Stay, Stay dateable. dateable. The Dateable Podcast is part of the Frolic Podcast Network. Find more podcasts you'll love at frolic.media slash podcasts. Want to continue the conversation? First, follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter with the handle at Dateable Podcast. Tag us in any post with the hashtag stay dateable and trust us, we look at all of those posts. Then head over to our website, datablepodcast.com. There you'll find all the episodes as well as articles, videos, and our coaching service with vetted industry experts. You can also find our premium Y series where we dissect, analyze, and offer solutions to some of the most common dating conundrums. We're also downloadable for free on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Overcast, Stitcher Radio, and other podcast platforms. Your feedback is valuable to us, so don't forget to leave us a review. And most importantly, remember to stay dateable. Mm -hmm. 
What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co.